Hello, everybody. Happy to be back on our 2022 podcast series on Contingent Workforce Radio. My name is Julie Schedule. I'm the Content Marketing Manager here at Utmost. Our podcast today is brought to you by Utmost, the VMS Transformed, enabling your full talent supply chain in one global network. Today's podcast is featuring our Head of Professional Services, Erica Novak, and Alan Chilson, Director of Talent Programs and Operations at Danaher. If you can take a minute to introduce yourself to the audience, that would be great. Erica, let's start with you. Hi, everybody. Erica Novak, Head of Client Services here for almost the last three years, but really CW practitioner and lover for over ooh, 16 years. I'm thrilled to be able to do in these podcasts and looking forward to speaking to Alan today. Thanks for having me on the podcast. I'm joining you all today from Frederick County, Maryland, about 50 miles northwest of Washington, D.C. I moved here from New Jersey a little over 15 years ago. So please do accept my apologies if I still talk fast like a Northeasterner. I, I've spent almost 20 years in talent acquisition leadership roles with most of that time involving the management of contingent workforce, RPO, recruitment process outsourcing, and other vendors that help achieve a company's talent acquisition goals. For example, I've also managed relocation, immigration, pre-employment screening, and assessment vendors. My current role with Danaher focuses on management of TA vendors that are directly involved with bringing us new associates and both full-time employees and temporary workers. And specifically, I'm managing our, our use of MSP, a managed service provider, RPO, and search firm vendors. I joined Danaher Corporation within the past year. So any real-life examples I, I include are probably going to also include my recent employment with BASF. And for anybody not familiar with Danaher, it's best described as a science and technology innovator that helps its customers solve complex challenges and improve the quality of life around the world. Danaher is the parent company of more than 25 operating companies that provide products and solutions in the areas of life sciences, diagnostics, water quality, and product identification. Awesome. Thanks, Alan. And I was thrilled that you suggested the voice of customer as a topic. It's not one that we've covered on our podcast, so it's going to be interesting and exciting for our listeners. So tell me a little bit about why you landed on the voice of the customer. Yep. So for one, and, and this part I'm going to read because I want to give proper credit, right? So a uh, voice of customer or VOC for short, as defined by Qualtrics as, quote, a term that describes your customer's feedback about their experiences with and expectations for your products or services. It focuses on customer needs, expectations, understandings, and product improvement. And I think the last piece, product, or in my world, process improvement, is the most important part of that statement. And what I find intriguing about this topic is that a lot of companies really just check the box, hearing the voice of customer through doing satisfaction surveys at one specific point in time. And usually in full-time recruiting, it's when the requisition gets filled. And in temporary staffing, it's when the assignment's completed. But are we really hearing the customer with those survey tools? And are we really driving any product or process improvement with the feedback we receive? So I think looping back to thinking of voice of customer with that Qualtrics definition was really why I've tried to adopt that in my program management over the last few years. Interesting. So Erica, obviously in your role at Utmost and other organizations you've worked in, can you talk a bit about what are some keys to getting this information from stakeholders? So be it talent, suppliers, the enterprise, and how as a tech company, Utmost is using this information to continue to innovate? Yeah, no, and I agree hugely with Alan. What's interesting about CW technology is the multitude of users. It's not just, and I'll call them the administrators, like a CW program or an MSP or someone who's responsible for this could be procurement or so. It's the worker themselves. It's the managers who are submitting potentially a rec or a work request. It's the suppliers. When I think about how Utmost is doing this, it's making sure we're taking considerations and ideas and hearing the voice customer from all of those. Typically, what I'll see 
is a voice customer comes from like the CW program only. And, and that's good. It's about building their program, but you need to make sure that you're going out. Who is the end user? Who are you actually asking to utilize your system that may not be that subject matter expert? And so when I think about uh, voice a customer, it's about making sure you understand what problems are they having, not what solutions are they looking for? Because sometimes they'll say, here's what I saw in another system or another team. And that's not bad. But what you want to, especially in innovative companies, you're trying to say, how are we solving this problem? And how can I do it more efficiently in a more modern way based on that? And so really understanding what their problem is through a use case example and understanding how often it is, I think becomes really critical when you're trying to build new systems or operational policies to help these people and help all the different teams. Yeah, that makes sense. So Alan, when should you be collecting this voice of customer information? All the time. I think it's really important. And I mentioned before, I think satisfaction surveys tend to be a point in time indicator, right? A lot of companies use um, net promoter scores and it's done once a year. And there's one specific question asked about, hey, would you recommend us to a colleague, friend, family? But really it's something you do have to, to be collecting all the time and whether it's formal or informal channels. So I, I definitely feel really strong about that. And sometimes you become the complaint department because if you do open up the window at the complaint counter, they're going to come. And I can say from years ago working in retail, there's always those comment cards as you leave the stores. And I'm dating myself when I say that, because nowadays you give those comments online, but the happy customer never took the comment card. It was the person who was mad that associated let them down or the item they came in for that was on sale was out of stock. So 90% of those cards you ever got back were going to be complaints, not compliments. So when you got the compliment, it was really exciting. But I think if you're open to voice a customer, you can learn a whole lot about your programs or your technology, whatever it is that you're delivering into your client group. Yep. I have nothing to add to that. When should you collect it? As often as you possibly can, as often as they're willing to give it. So I guess right. the next question then is, how can you improve that voice of customer and the VOC that you receive from your customers? Yeah, so I think, and what I've felt is really successful is probably two things, because I, I think you need to show them what's worth their while to give you the voice of customer. I have so many times in my life, you, you call the IT help desk, you get the survey afterwards, and usually not happy after you talk to IT. They probably don't solve your problem or you waited too long to talk to them. So you may not even answer that survey. But I think if you can show them it's worth their while, and one of those ways would be showing them you're truly interested in hearing from them. And I'd like to take the approach by offering them alternative ways to provide feedback. So for example, if you're sending them an email with a link to the survey stating something like, if you're not comfortable completing this survey, feel free to email me or call me directly to share your thoughts instead of sending your survey from within a survey system that has a do not reply email address. Because now if I have any question, I don't really know who to go back to, or at least I can't click a link and go back to them. The other thing I think is really important is providing them opportunity to provide feedback on specific stages of your process. Um, versus an overall satisfaction rating. So I talked about those net promoter scores or even the manager satisfaction surveys. You ask one or two questions and ask them to give them an overall rating. If you give them specific stages, they can tell you where you did good and where you did bad. And you have to be willing to hear both. I think you're exactly right. And I see a lot of people do your CSAT NPS. One of the things back when we were consulting, we were trying to help, and we know it takes a lot of time to do this, is looking at the strategy, should you go bigger and more shallow, an overall assessment of the program and their experience. I love what you talked about is by stage because someone's experience in the implementation process, first month of program versus first year talking about the stages is, is a very different type of feedback. And if you lump them all together, it can give you some false negatives and false positives. 
And so working with teams say, should you do things that are shorter, but more targeted, right? Do you look at high volume users versus one-time only users? Do you figure out, is it really about the system, the people, the processes, and starting to get more targeted on what some of those things are? I think the other part I would say is you got to show you heard and did something with it. So where I see fall off is you ask, and then it becomes this empty vacuum. They don't really see what you did with it. And so like the follow-up of, so therefore, or we appreciate this, but we decided in a different direction, I think it's good. And then the last thing I think on voice of customer is making sure um, it's not the same time everyone else is sending out their review. Annual review cycles, don't ask for a survey. They're doing stuff with their teams, right? After another big implementation. Uh, so I always check with corporate communication to say, what else is going on that maybe I don't see? Because if you're one of none surveys, probably more likely to take it. If you're one of six or among a high administrative period, they're not going to take it. And you may attribute silence as either good or they're not interested versus it's nope, they're just busy. Yeah. And Erica, I think the asking for actionable feedback and then taking action on the feedback mm -hmm. is the great way to continue getting feedback, right? Because if, if I feel like I've told you this before, I'm not going to answer the survey and tell it to you again. But when you can go back the next time you ask for feedback and say, hey, Thanks for the feedback last quarter, last year, whenever that was, here are the process improvements we implemented. Or quite honestly, hopefully they've already felt them and seen them, but it's also, hey, based on your feedback. So it's not throwing it into a black hole. Candidates hate applying for a job into a black hole when they go into an ATS and managers or stakeholders hate answering a survey and not having their words heard. That's exactly right. I've seen a nice one pager that I, I saw a customer do where they reiterated the problem state they're going after, they showed how many people responded, even if it was bad. Let's say they sent out to 500, but only 25 responded. They said 25. Here are the top three things. And then said, we're going to do the top two. And then the following quarter said, we did them. We're in a survey. And they saw their respondents grow because again, it has to be one slide. Can't be 17 pages. No one's going to read it. But they were able to show we did something off of it. And that started to spread other managers saying, hey, if you give this team feedback, they're going to go after it. And they saw it increase, increase, increase. And they tracked who opened it. They were able to track to see who opened it. And they saw that increase as well. So more people started to read and pass around the report out. And again, showed like an influencing factor to, mm -hmm. to the CW team. So Alan, do you have any examples from your work on the enterprise side to share with the audience? Yeah, I, I can think of two that I'd like to share. So the first one is a simple and not technical example. And it would be when we solicited feedback from our staffing suppliers while it was a BSF. And we saw a trend where we were losing a lot of workers. There was a lot of false starts, right? So people were scheduled for start. And at some point during their background check process, they were disappearing. So root cause analysis, which was conducted by my MSP account manager at my request as we were talking about this issue, indicated that the problem was in our requirements, so BSF's requirement of using our preferred background vendors. So we made all the staffing suppliers sign up and use our vendor. And the workers were simply accepting jobs elsewhere because of delays in getting started at BSF. So our agencies were having a hard time getting customer service from our chosen vendor. So that voice of customer that we got, and it was going differently because normally I'm technically their customer, but I, I look at voice of customers, it can really be 360 degrees. But that voice of customer we got from the staffing suppliers by asking them to tell us what the problems were, led to us adding a second approved background screening vendor, which had better customer support for those suppliers. And that second vendor enabled them to adjudicate backgrounds in a timelier fashion, which resulted in fewer false starts. So simple. I could have blamed them. I could have said, hey, it's your job to get these people across the finish line. You're scheduling people for start that you didn't really confirm. But by going back and asking them, hey, why is this happening? We found that the background check 
delays were the biggest problem, we were able to take that out. The other example that comes to mind, and it's a little more complex, and I'll call it with air quotes scientific, and everybody can't see me air quoting, but that's what I did. It would be when we solicited feedback from our hiring managers at BSF when we were hearing what I'd call anecdotal noise about our RPO program. So our SLAs, the service level agreements we were measuring the RPO vendor by, were all green, meaning they were exceeding expectations. Um, and the manager satisfaction surveys that we were collecting through our ATS also didn't indicate any issues. But we were hearing this anecdotal noise come back through our HR business partners that were aligned to the business. And I did hear it from some business leaders that I had relationships with. So we created our own quarterly survey. We used Microsoft Forms. It wasn't anything really um, fancy, but we asked managers for feedback on specific stages of our process. So like, as I mentioned before, I think this is a big piece. And we didn't just ask them to rate or score each of those stages, but we gave them the opportunity to provide us with open text feedback. Now, of course, that required a lot more time for us to go through and read and look at and lump things into common categories. But we did that. And we received more than a 50% response rate on that survey, which was much better than our normal after you filled the requisition survey. I did send two reminders to get to that 50% number, but we still got to 50%. And we were able to provide our RPO account manager and the team with actionable feedback on stages of the process that had continuous improvement opportunities, as well as as long as the people who took the survey told us what site they were from, we were also able to zero in on a few sites that had more noise than others. So we were then able to go do root cause analysis at those sites, looking at those stages of the process. And when we did that, the process improvements that came out were often things we chose to implement in the overall model because we saw where they'd produce a value add to everyone. So we weren't just doing local process adaptations. And if, if anybody's familiar, I mean, an RPO program, recruitment process outsourcing, that P for process in the middle, they like to stay on a very A to B to C to D process. Sometimes we did do some little loops for specific sites. And sometimes it was where we had like a union site. So we had to do different things to comply with a labor contract. But these were often enterprise-wide process improvements that we found by going and investing the time to dig under underneath the surface to figure out why these specific sites were having issues at a specific stage. So that's why I say that's a little more scientific because we did do, you know, some plot diagrams and, and we compared our metrics to the survey responses. But that was a survey we wound up doing to try to avoid survey fatigue. I also only sent it if a manager filled a job in the first quarter and got my survey, whether she or he replied or not, I wouldn't send them the survey if they filled the job again in quarter two. So they'd only hear from me twice a year. As I mentioned earlier, I gave them the opportunity to reach out to me directly if they didn't want to take the survey. And early on, people probably weren't as comfortable sharing their name or their site location because we left those as optional fields. But I think once they started seeing the, the results of the survey, we had more people sharing their locations and their name. So it was a valued survey, but it really helped us take what was a really highly performing RPO program, but really zeroing in on where we weren't missing the needs of the business and making it better. And that was a long answer. So I'll catch my breath now. No, and I love that because it, it, I think it is a blend of art and science. I mean, typically in a PowerPoint, people want all the qualitative, right? 75% of us gave four out of five or, or, or whatnot. But I love that you enabled the free text because I think quotes are sometimes incredibly strong. There's a difference between give someone a one and everyone realized that could be bad. But when you are able to put into quotes and you anonymize it, but you're able to say, I blankety blank hate this process. It gets some attention, mm -hmm. especially if you're able to attribute to a level like you don't. Again, like you said, you want to keep it anonymous, but you're able to say a VP in this geography said they absolutely hate that. There's power of someone's actual language that should be supporting mm -hmm. the science and supporting the percentages you're putting together to focus. But 
I have found some of the artistic, I do it with my communication to my exec team here, is when you're using language that people say, I love, I hate, this is frustrating, I'll never do this again, or attributing, I love this person, wow, did this person do a great job? There's ways to give the praise and the negative, but if you give it a voice versus just a number, there's power to it. So I love that you have obviously a very scientific approach, but you're letting that be peppered in to help support whatever you are trying to get funding, resources, or priority to make the changes. So that's fantastic. Yep. And I'll tell you, one of the nice things about the free text was, is we also got compliments there. So we got a specific recruiter is doing a great job. I know it's not them, but this market right now is really tough or those kind of things, right? So where they might've given us a score that might've let us think we had a problem. They were then saying, I know my local market's tough and the recruiter's doing everything he or she can. And it goes against most of us looking to create a survey that you can easily, you know, build a report out of. But when you're trying to get under the hood, you got to take the opportunity to have those people that are choosing to respond to actually give you their thoughts. No, that is, that is for all the listeners, that is such knowledge right there because the total cost of ownership for these programs are not small right? Whether it's supplier funded or client funded, these are massive programs that there's there's people, there's services, there's technology. And so while you are looking for ways to better serve, right? This is a talent enablement program. You're exactly right. Being able to give kudos to show, here's what we have done. Here's what they've said. Helps with your right overall performance, but also helps with your entire teams of we have the right talent, skill set. Everyone's working hard. They recognize that it's X, Y, and Z. And so it, that's a great call out to say voice of customer can be used to reinforce that this is the right team structure idea that you guys are working on and, and shouldn't be overlooked for just the negative to improvement. So fantastic point. And Alan, when we talked last and you mentioned earlier, Danaher has 25 plus operating companies that they own. It sounds like a majority of the life science and diagnostic companies are going through the contingent labor program and have either a technology and or services component, but others don't because it's not something that your corporate mandates. So with all the disparate systems, I'd love for you to share with the audience what you and your team are doing to make a better mousetrap, which you had indicated. Can you talk a little bit more about that and ultimately how that improves experience? Yeah, yeah. For sure. And, and yeah, you're correct. I mean, we don't mandate the use of our centrally managed MSP or RPO programs. So each of those companies has their autonomous decisions. But my goal and our goal in corporate talent acquisition is, is to build out programs that offer comprehensive solutions that our operating companies will want to use if and when their hiring needs require an external vendor support. And you're correct. The largest use of our RPOs and MSPs right now are in the life science and diagnostic groups. They just have the larger hiring demands. So our internal TA teams can handle, talent acquisition teams, they can handle the workload in our other platforms, but those two tend to need to help. And part of what, what I'm looking at is building the better mousetrap. It's having a technology-enabled MSP program where the manager, the worker, and supplier all have a better experience in the assignment life cycle. So onboarding, weekly timesheets, weekly invoicing, offboarding, all that stuff should be a smooth process. Um, reporting and analytics should be available and easy to use and easy to share. The spend under management um, and our centrally managed program allows us to, to have the people process and tools that are required to do all that. So we, we do have an MSP in place. We have a BMS in place and we have great process around that. But each operating company probably couldn't sustain that same kind of a program on their own due to the peaks and valleys that they're going to experience in their business demand. But the peak of one company matches the value of the other company, which allows our MSP to keep the kind of volume they need to keep our service level. But I do think the centralized model, at times, it has to compete with the perception, and, and sometimes it's the reality 
that a local staffing agency in the neighborhood, and I guess I should say air quotes around the neighborhood, they're not always right near our, our facility, but that a local vendor might be better equipped to recruit local manufacturing talent than the national vendors that often exist in a managed service provider program. So I have no problems when you think about all those things. That Danaher as a company has that position of allowing the operating companies to decide what's best for their specific hiring needs, which to be honest, it's really us listening to the voice of customer versus forcing a one-size-fits-all solution on them. All right, I got to ask, I love it, because everyone's got a different name of what they call their CW program. So you called it a better mousetrap. Give me an idea of what you mean by that and how, how we should take it. So what I want to look at with that is that if our operating companies are out there either working with another vendor, and there are a few of them because they had a different MSP vendor in place when they were acquired, or because they've just went out and built their own, they don't have that same volume. So when I talk about those peaks and valleys, we should be able to offer a more sustained high level of support because of the overall spend of the Danaher program. And when you're doing it for thousands of workers versus hundreds of workers, you can make those other investments in analytics. And plus our MSP provider also has their own analytics suite behind the scenes. So they can take data and go crunch it and give us back nice reports and QBRs. The opco that goes out to a single local supplier to do it just for themselves probably isn't going to get that level. They're going to have an account manager that has split attention, not focused only on Danaher and its operating companies, but maybe has three or four other clients. So they're not going to have a dedicated resource. The recruiter supporting them probably won't be fully dedicated. So it's just really building the scale and having that dedicated team. The other thing I look at that I think when you do have a large enough MSP program, the other knowledge you get from those MSP providers. So we work with Kelly OCG, but there's Ronstadt out there. There's Guidant Global. There's the ADECO companies, all these other companies, right? They all invest a lot in learning about the contingent workforce and the ecosystem, and they can share those research studies they do. So I can get a wealth of knowledge from them if I'm thinking about taking, adding something new to my program or taking it in a different direction that would either cost me a lot of money or a lot of time to go and find that information on my own. So to me, that's where that better mousetrap is technology enabled, people enabled, information enabled, and having that bigger solution that, that they probably could not build on their own. Yeah, Eric, I think that's interesting. So what do you think Utmost does or in other organizations that you've been a part of that promotes that easy to do the right thing mentality? Yeah, I mean, I think Alan hits the nail on the head. Technology enabled, people enabled, information enabled. We all know, and it's our favorite thing to say, right? Well, you want to guide the managers to the best, most compliant, safest, best talent, you know, where everyone talks a lot about like right person, right cost, right time. They just want to go fast and they're going to go the path of least resistance. And they kind of think they know better until you tell them it's against the law, right? Most no one is doing things purposely to go around. I really don't love like the rogue spend mentality. This way or you're not. Nah. No, everyone's just trying to get work done to what they know. They don't have the information, right? They don't know there's another way, or maybe it's a little bit harder than the, the other way they're able to do. And so I love that those three together actually make managers say, fantastic, this is much faster. I mean, utmost, we'll talk a lot about our front door, right? Where it's in manager-friendly language, not a requisition through statement of work or a procurement team or IT team or an HR team. It's manager friendly so they understand how to answer the questions. And if they don't, they can say, I don't know. And it goes to either the right system. So, hey, based on this, we think it's a temporary worker. Go down this VMS path. Hey, we think this is employee. Here's your ATS. Hey, it's statement of work. Here's this. Or you have no idea. You've just been told to fill this out. Let me get you into a team that can help advise you. But the idea is let them submit something that, that 
forwards them down through the intake process to the right team or the right system in one way. So it's fast. So that's one way, right? We, again, almost obviously is in love with, with our solve, but I think a lot of it, what I've seen in other customers as well is the idea of it's about how to get managers through the process and enabled with some guardrails. Some I think will do it mandated. It has to be this way. Too bad. So sad. Your dad. Others are a little bit softer and says, hey, contingent is a gray pathway. Let me help guide you. Usually those have to be guided by people because there are gray. And then Brazil is different from Argentina. Let's just, let's just call it out, right? Outside of culture and language requirements and what they're used to. And the suppliers, like you were saying, Alan, like the supplier support that you have are going to be different, whether it's country or state or city locations. And so they may not be aware that you already have contracts in place with these many suppliers. And so I think kind of the easy to the right thing approach is the entire point. These programs are meant to be talent enablement. You should be informing about all the options of yes, not saying the answer is no to this. It can't be, or only using cost as a dictator. I've seen some programs where they say you can't because it costs more. And I think Alan, you and I both know sometimes it's okay for it to cost more. Sometimes that's the right chance. That shouldn't be only the determining factor of how an operation is built. You got to work with the manager. And so I think those programs who see that and understand that, usually the ones that have the higher volume champion, you're never going to get everyone in your company to love everything that you're going to do. Can't please everyone because, well, you got to go with the law as well. But when you actually act as a guide or a partner and an enabler to it, that's when managers will come to your team first before saying, oh, this is how I've always done it. I mean, Alan, I mean, I'd love to get your thoughts on like the, the right way the first time. So what you mentioned with the front door product and that whole decision tree, right? So we've had that built out in the past, like at BSF and we trained on it and it was something that was kind of administered and used by our MSP team. But then as we launched a freelancer solution into our program as well, we had a need to really talk to managers about, okay, so whereas now in the past, we told you you couldn't go work with consultants. We now have a couple of vendors that can help you work with consultants. We did that through our MSP, but we had to go out and have that whole conversation about, hey, here are the criteria for whether you could have a consultant instead of a a W-2 worker. So they had to talk to my MSP consultants. They're only working their business hours. They're eight to five, they're nine to six, whatever they're working. If you do have system enablement that is manager friendly, where they can go through that process on their own 24-7, that makes it a lot easier than them having to wait for the person. At the end of certain decision trees, it's going to say, talk to the person, right? So now you have to wait for the person, but some of those other options are going to be things they can automate. So I think wherever you can take in and and put technology that makes it manager-friendly, ease of use. But I think, like you said, the country-specific things or just some of the nuances are always going to come down to needing to get to a person at some point. But can I help you with 70% of it and 30% of it opposite the person, I think is a great efficiency for a manager. Let's take it down a couple of levels, knowing that we have a couple of different types of listeners here, ones who are doing this for the very first time, some who are mid-level into this one or time, but maybe they've had their MSP do some of their voice of customer and haven't been involved. And then we have more senior folks. For kind of the ones that fit in the category number one, they've never actually conducted a voice of customer, either interview or survey. Can you just give some brass tacks examples of how to approach that? And what could some of those questions be that would begat thoughts on what you should do to change? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And it also depends on what you're looking to do this for. So if you were considering 
a new program. You might be able to network and ask some, some of your colleagues at other companies for some ideas on things you should ask, things you should consider. So I think if you are building from scratch as a new person, the power of a network is huge. I think also the power of your vendors. So if you have identified a short list of vendors that you might want to talk to, um, they're going to help you too, because seen it done. I mean, the other thing I've learned, so I've spent my whole career working in talent acquisition, but I've had procurement colleagues ask me, have you worked in procurement? Because I've also learned from them so much from doing these different exercises. So if you are sitting in TA and you're trying to, to think about this, how do you do a voice of customer for considering if you need a program, if it's a new program or other things, I mean, definitely leverage other people that way too, because uh, procurement is used to doing the RFPs. They'll have a lot of the basic and technical questions, but it may also spur some thoughts. But I think the things you also want to think of is not just what's important to you. And if you do talk to those procurement colleagues or even your boss, you need to scratch those itches, especially for your boss. Don't make your boss unhappy, but you also do need to, you need to ask a couple of customers. So hopefully, you know, a couple of managers within your company that you could pick their brain that you know are using temporary workers already or have a need. Ask them for some of the things that would be important to them too, because you want to build your survey to talk to all the managers out there, but there's nothing wrong with talking to a few of them. And that, the bigger survey that we built at BSF for the RPO program, a lot of those questions and breaking it down, down by stages came from those conversations I had had with managers, business leaders, HR partners about those anecdotal pieces of noise. So if I had done it from what was in the contract with our RPO, I would have asked all the wrong questions. And that's Probably one of the things I learned pretty quickly after the RPO went live. So the RPO went live a month before I joined BASF. And when we were out talking to sites and going over QBR results for their sites, some of our large sites, they were like, well, these things don't matter to me. So procurement and talent acquisition, I won't take the blame because like I said, they went live before I joined, but they had put things into the contract that were important to talent acquisition and procurement. But no, nobody asked the business what's important to you. And that is a big deal when you do these things. So pick a couple of thought leaders in your business and, and pick their brain. It won't take long, but you'll build a, a survey tool that gets you that actionable feedback we talked about earlier. Yeah, I think that's fantastic advice. And I appreciate all the, the information you've shared on collecting the voice of customer from your managers. It's been amazing. To end the session, what's one piece of advice you'd give in collecting voice of customer information from your suppliers? So that's a good question because that also is the complaint window. So if you have an MSP and you put yourself out there as that internal stakeholder who they don't normally get to speak to because of the way the programs run vendor neutral, they don't get to speak to managers. The managers don't know which agencies submitted the resumes and they don't normally have a point of contact with me. Now we did at BSF, we did do an annual supplier summit. So we would get together like our top 20 suppliers, bring them in. They would hear a bit from me and I was usually bringing the diversity and inclusion initiatives forward because we had really robust programs for our full-time hiring, we wanted to get them there. But I think the important part, we looked to bring them information and we had an open session for them to ask questions and there were always some questions, but I did go around and shake hands with suppliers there. So these were our top 20 suppliers out of say 70 in the program. So they were top 20%, top 30%. They were important to our program because they were producing hires for us across the country. So for me, it, even though the program normally ran vendor neutral and don't bother Alan, I was still open to hearing from them. And, and on blind faith, I hope that they wouldn't come complain about every little thing they didn't like about the program. But I think there's that, right? There's opening the door to actual direct interaction. But the other side of it is, is MSPs do supplier scorecarding. So they'll tell you who your top suppliers are. Like I said, I knew that group was our top 20. I also asked our account manager for my MSP. I said, 
I want you to talk and hear from the suppliers. And I'd love to hear that BSF is their favorite company to work for. So it wasn't a formal process, but I'm like, when you're talking to them, ask them how working for us compares to working other places and share that feedback with me. Cause those are the things we want to look to change in our program. If they tell us that, Hey, company ABC is best to work for because of this. Well, then how do we get that into our program? So I think they need to bring you the best workers. So you also need to give them something so that they want to prioritize your jobs. And I think just trying to find out how you make your program, you're not going to pay them more money. That's what they'd like. They, they don't like, they don't like the managed markup rates. They don't like that they pay an MSP fee. And most of the MS systems are in place and are vendor funded also by another fee taken out of the charges. But how do you add other value to them? And it's by hearing them and trying to make the process better. So the example about the background checks was one. We heard a lot of noise there about our tenure guidelines early on, and we did expand our tenure guidelines too. So that was based both on supplier feedback also business feedback. But I think it's just important to have your ways to open the door, but also limit how open the door gets. I love it. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today, Erica. As always, it's a pleasure. And thanks again so much to our listeners for continuing to join in. And we'll see you next time on Contingent Workforce Radio. Thanks, everybody. Thanks, guys. Thank you.